welcome to Small Steps Living, the The podcast. podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Cordaff, bringing you inspiring stories to help you transform your life one small step at a time. Here at Small Steps Living, we're keeping it real. Kick back and And enjoy enjoy the show. show. Hey everyone, it's another episode of the podcast and lucky for you, today I am interviewing another rock star small stepper. Now, this woman has one of the most interesting stories that you're going to hear. There's a lot going on with this woman and the topics that we're going to be covering today, I think so many of you are going to resonate with and I definitely know that you're going to feel a bit more inspired about a certain topic. So think about, you know, rules that you have created around food. Think about the guilt that you've created about around food. Think about um, creating multiple meals for your family members for the one meal. This is all stuff we're going to be diving into, plus stacks, stacks, more. Karen Garner-Hamilton, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Lisa. We might have a slight little delay. You make um, everything sound so full on. Well, Karen, Sorry. Karen, let's just like let's just get it out there. Yes, that you that this is going to be a pretty cool chat. I am really excited to talk to you because not many people have been through some of the things that you have, and. I always, you know, we can get a bit whingy in our lives sometimes, you know, I'll definitely put my hand up there. But some people have really been at the coalface and I think that you're one of those people. Yeah, we've been through a bit, yep. So let's dive into it. Can you tell us a little bit about, a little bit about your story? I know that that's hard, a little bit about, you know, a pretty (laughs) interesting life story. Tell us about what happened, um, you know, When your son was born. Okay. So um, my ex-husband decided to leave about five days after I found out I was pregnant Um, and so had a fairly tumultuous pregnancy. It was fairly stressful um, and things were quite up and down throughout that. Um, My son was then born premature, about four weeks premature, so spent a bit of time in special care. So um, I had to go home from the hospital without him, so without a son and without a husband in my house, which was pretty emotional time for a few weeks there. Um, once he was born, we sort of um, reconciled for a little bit from when my son was about two months to about four months old, um, and then he left for good finally. Um, and so then I became a single mum um, for the next, well, Mm, two years-ish until I met my um, lovely second husband um, who has been with me now for, uh, what's that, five, almost six years. Yeah. Karen, what is it? I can't even imagine the, I don't know, what is it, fear, sadness, uh, you know, to be, I guess, alone or left pregnant like what is it what are your actual thoughts what was that time of life like for you and and also just the first two years of your son's life I can't actually imagine it doing it without Nick the thought actually makes me feel terrified um it was pretty well and and you know I'd never been a really maternal person and so um the thought of having a baby by myself um knowing that I'd never really felt like you know, um, 
being a mum was something that I'd be good at was mm. um, super scary because I just wasn't sure how I was going to handle it. Um, and I was in Hobart and my whole family were in Queensland. So I had friends down here, but I didn't have family down here. So that scared me. And at one point I was, do I move back to Queensland to be in hot weather that I really don't like, or <laughs> but really close to my family, um, or leave you know my job and everything down here, or do I stay down here? Um, and, you know, just get on with things. Um, so, and that's what I did. Yeah. I think you're amazing. And I mean, so you'd established a career down there. Like it wasn't as though you wanted to move. You wanted to keep your life down there. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely wanted to keep my life down here. Yeah. It's certainly, you know, I love living in Hobart. Um, you know, my house is in Hobart, um, you know, at the time, yeah, you know, I had great friends and everything down here. So it was still the place and my son's, you know, father was down here. So to try and mm. sort of have some, well, particularly while I was pregnant, to try and, you know, because I was still hoping at that point that, you know, maybe things were going to work out, um, despite that I should have seen the signs that they wouldn't. But, you know, he was still hoping that, you know, my son would get to have two parents with him the whole time. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, and it was and it was really tough and you know I cried a lot throughout my pregnancy I wasn't sure that my son would recognize my voice when he was born because all he'd hear was me crying um but you know we um we got through it and you know I've got an amazing eight-year-old now so we've obviously done pretty well to get to the point where we are what was it like so, yeah because I mean I reckon there's probably a lot of women out there who would be heading into motherhood who perhaps they just they're a bit frightened because they haven't had those those mama vibes. What was it? What was that sort of? What was that like? How do you feel you ended up managing? Did the mother love kick in, or was it something that you kind of felt a bit differently about in the beginning? Initially, I, I had a lot of trouble, sort of even. Um, connecting with this little baby that was inside me. I refused, despite my friends, you know, telling me we needed to sort of start getting things organised and, you know, picking cots and prams and stuff. I just refused to buy anything or get involved with anything like that for quite a long time um, because, and I, I also didn't tell people I was pregnant till probably I was between four and five months pregnant because I wanted to tell my parents in person because they knew that, um, my ex and I had split up, but I didn't then want to tell them over the phone that I was also pregnant and, and shocked them during that. So I didn't really have anyone around me who knew that I was pregnant apart from my ex who I wasn't really talking to that much. Um, so, yeah, the bonding part. So as soon as I could find out, you know, what sex um, my baby was going to be, I did that um, so that I could sort of start to try and have a bit of a connection um, and at that point sort of picked a name and everything for him so I could sort of start that process. Um, but it was, yeah, it wasn't easy. At times, you know, I questioned whether I should, um, you know, be a mum and whether I was going to be a good mum and, you know, was this baby, you know, really meant for me and so many things went through my head at the time. Wowza. Wow. And, I mean, now he's this eight-year-old boy, you know, your little psyche. Yeah. Amazing. It's amazing. Um, so then talk to us about when you met your new husband and 
because mm-hmm. there's an interesting story behind you guys. So then, yes, when my, well, probably when my son was about 18 months old, I was sort of sick of feeling like I was just a mum and I needed to do something for myself. Um, And so I sort of got back into exercise and things like that. Um, And then sort of once I'd been doing that for a few months, I thought, you know what, I really am ready to sort of try and, you know, maybe meet somebody else. I wasn't quite sure how that was going to work with our scenario. Um, but thought I'd give it a go anyway. So um, did, you know, jumped online because, you know, as a single mum, you can't actually go to pubs to meet people. You can't really go many places to go to meet people. So online needed to be where it was at. Um, And I met some rather interesting people (laughs) in the process and had to sort of schedule meetings with them when my son was with his dad. Um, So, and then eventually um, this, Yes, very nice man who could spell, which is always a plus for me. Um, and actually, um, email back some intelligent. Um, yes, banter was very nice. So, um, my now husband was actually in Fiji when I first sort of contacted him online. And every sort of night when he was in Fiji at someone else's wedding, would send me an email. So I was pretty impressed by this, that he was actually going to the, and it was before, you know, you, he had a phone that he could send me messages. So he'd go to their internet room each yeah. night and um, send me some emails, which was lovely. And then when he got back, we met up. Um and we met up, yeah, a couple of times and then um, I invited him for dinner because it was just getting too hard to try and coordinate time. So I was like, right, you just need to, you know, come to my space. Um, and, yeah, you know, he, he was um, amazing because he was quite happy for me to hide him in my house from my son even though he was only two years old. I was determined he wasn't going to meet him yet. So he was you know, rushed out the door in the morning um, while I hid my son in the kitchen. <laughs> He'd come over late at night, so my son was in bed. But it sounds like something. It sounds like something from a soap, like you know, like yeah. quick, quick, out you go. But then, like, how much more exciting does that make it as well? <laughs> yeah, it makes it a bit exciting. But I was also like, oh, is he really going to continue to do this? Because, you know, he'd text me from upstairs um, <laughs> in my bedroom and go, okay, I'm ready to leave. So I'd run up and say goodbye to him. And then I'd say to my son, okay, we're going to go in the kitchen now. And he'd sneak out the front door. <laughs> so um, within a few months of us meeting, um, my now husband's kidney function just started to decrease um he'd had kidney issues for about 10 years at that point and um so he needed to be starting dialysis um and so during that process um his mother was being tested as a donor um which we thought was going to go ahead but then it couldn't so in the back of my mind whilst that was happening you know I was thinking well you know maybe I could do that. Um, and so once his mother had been ruled out, then, um, you know, I started talking to him about it and he was like, no, you can't do that, you know, that's um, too much and, you know, and we had all the doctors telling us that we hadn't been together long enough and, you know, um, all of these things as to why it couldn't happen. Um, but eventually, you know, I was pretty stubborn and um, he was on dialysis um, and, yeah, so eventually we got to the point after a lot of um, fighting pretty much to happen um, that um, 
it was two years to the day after that we met um, that we were admitted to hospital um, for the kidney transplant. Yeah. You gave him a kidney. So I gave him a kidney, yeah, yeah. So he now has, yeah, as my son tells everybody, that David has three kidneys and I have one because he has <laughs> two that don't work and one of mummy's that does. So you had no qualms, like you weren't, no, you just knew that this is what you had decided to do? Um, I did, you know, it, it, along the way, you know, you have a lot of people telling you, you know, particularly the medical people telling you, oh, that if you do this, then you're not going to be able to have any more children. And if you do this, you know, how are you going to feel if you do this? And then, um, you know, he decides to leave you or you break up and all of these different things. And in my mind, I was like, you know, this isn't some way to try and trap him or anything like that. This is just what we need to do because dialysis was hard work. You know, he was going there four to five times a week and would be there for anywhere between four and six hours at a time. And so, you know, we'd be heading out there and dropping him off and he'd be doing dialysis and then we'd be going back to help him pack up. And, you know, we knew doing that long term and waiting for um, a deceased donor could take between, you know, anywhere from, you know, straight away to five years. And we knew that probably trying to do that was not going to be sustainable um, with a, you know, three or four-year-old child if he was four at the time. So, yeah, that was what, you know, we decided and and I knew was going to be the best for for all of us. I just think it's, it's miraculous, number one, that it can be done. Like I still find it extraordinary. And I'm a person who has ticked all of the, you know, I want everything to be given (laughs) when I die. I want, you know, everything's donated, no problems there, absolutely no issues around that. And I've made sure that everyone around me knows it. But there is, it's a totally different thing to, to be alive and, and, and donate organs. Do you, now that you're part of that community, like you're, you're part of a pretty exclusive club of people who have done this what have you learned about live organ donation or living organ donation um, <laughs> I guess living organ, living organ donation um it's still not hugely common um but it is getting more common um you probably learn more about organ donation as a whole whilst you're doing it because whilst you you know with somebody who needs one um, you're realising that so few people pass away in a way that means that their organs can actually be donated. Um, and so therefore the number of um, the number of organs that become available each year are not that high. Um, mm. And so, you know, it's it, there are lots of people who obviously indicate that, you know, they want to be organ donors, um, but so few people, you know, die in a way that actually means their organs can be used. Um, and so waiting for that process um, is really hard work. Yeah, I can imagine. And so what was it like for you? Do, is there a special program for organ donors or, you know, what's the process that you were put through? Yeah, so I had to do all the medical testing. I had to do um, psychology, well, I meet with a counsellor I think twice. Then I had to meet with the surgeons um, so that they could sort of quiz me about the process um, and how much I knew about the process and the risks involved um, in terms of the process. Um, yeah, so it's pretty 
intensive up until the point that you donate. Um, but that's sort of where things, you know, tend to stop. Um, yeah. So you like, then that's it. It's like, thank you. And we've stitched you back up and, and you're off and away. Did you have any weird feelings afterwards? Like, do you feel like there should be support for people afterwards? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Cause even in the hospital, you sort of, you know, prior to the donating, then, well, the, the recipient is always the focus, which, you know, for me was, was fine in terms of that. Um, because obviously, you know, I wanted my, my then, you know, partner to, to be better than he was. Um, but you sort of left to feel, and I'd been given sort of this idea on one of the Facebook groups that I was on about living donors that you, you know, you feel like you've done your part and then you sort of left. Mm. Um, and so, you know, and it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's all a very emotional time, um, when it's all happening. And so, you know, you're not sure whether it's just, the fact that you've had major surgery um, and I'd never had any type of surgery before so it was all a bit new to me to actually even have surgery um, and so you know you don't really know what, whether what you're feeling is normal or whether you know you're just being really sensitive um, yeah yeah so I do think um, though you know having gone through it that yeah more follow-up support um, for donors would be helpful probably from people who have donated because you know as much as all the medical people can give you all the the medical know-how and the the counsellors can talk to you about it they have you know no idea um how you feel yeah yeah there's a facebook group in that totally karen yeah. right now i'm um, just just saying uh, <laughs> there's totally a blog in it too just you know, you know we can talk um so Okay, so tell me now you guys are a happily dialysis-free unit, a little family of three. Um, let's talk about food and let's talk about <laughs> what life was kind of like for you before. Well, tell me about your journey with food a little bit. Um, so I've had well, probably a varied journey with food. Um, you know, I've done various diet programs. I've joined various gym programs where you've got, you know, eight weeks to change your life or whatever. Or, <laughs> you know, I've done various twelve hundred, you know, calorie eating programs, and yeah, so pretty much everything. I've done a, a Weight Watchers at home. Um, so you name it, I've pretty much done it in terms of food. Um, and yeah. None of those things meant that I had the probably the greatest relationship with food. Um, in our family, once we became a family of three, then um, my husband is, even though he doesn't admit it, is quite fussy. Um, my son has always been a pretty good eater, but he's picking up some of the fussiness that was introduced to us. So, yeah, up until this program, um, particularly last year, I was making, you know, up to three different meals a night. And so, you know, it was pretty much hating dinner time and had pretty much um, refined our meals to the same meal each week, each night, you know, and we just have, there would be a rotation of seven things um, that, each of us sort of would have bits and pieces of 
and that would be the same. And my friends used to think it was the greatest, you know, joke ever that, you know, Monday night was steak and veggies and Tuesday night was sausages and, you know, Thursday nights were lamb cutlets and, you know, that never varied. In some ways it's genius, let me just say, um, because I think a lot of people struggle all the time thinking they've got to cook new things. But I can see how a repeating pattern like that over a long period of time might get tired, um, for sure. But I'm, I'm interested to know at what point did you kind of sign on to all of those, um, all of those um, diets or you know, calorie controlled stuff or the gym stuff. What was the underlying issue? Was it um, carrying a bit of extra weight or was it just something that had always crept in like you should be doing this or, um, you know, what was actually really going on? Yeah, most of the time it was it was weight related um, for sure. You know, one was prior to my first marriage um, and, you know, like all brides do, trying yes. to work on that. <laughs> Um, that is a theme amongst small steppers of so many interviews it's like yep when I got married um when I got engaged and I just thought yep okay better do something about this (laughs) yeah yeah totally and then you know at other times um yeah, the, you know, some of the times it was because people at work were doing it and I was like, yeah, I really need to do that and I've got if I've got support around me, it will be easier. Um, but it was it was normally around weight, absolutely, for sure, to try and, you know, um, tone up and, yeah, yeah, try and find a way that, yeah, could make it easy and sustainable um, but, you know, um, achievable but it never really seemed to make much difference long term. So what happens to your headspace and your, I guess, relationship with food when there's, I guess, there's a lot of focus on it when you're in those kind of regimes and you kind of learn all these rules around food, what's in, what's out, uh, you learn, you're counting points or you're counting calories or you're portion controlling or those sorts of things. How do you feel like that affected you and your relationship with food? Um, to me, everything was guilt always. You know, you, you'd have one thing that was that didn't follow the rules and you'd feel guilty about it and then you'd probably eat more things because you were feeling guilty and so you'd then just say, well, you know, I can't do that too hard. Um, I'd be thinking about food all the time. Like I would always be thinking about food. I'd be thinking about, you know, what did I just eat and whether that was good enough and what should I eat next and should I wait and not have a snack or should I have a snack so then I don't eat as much the next meal and, you know, is that going to be okay and is what I'm doing okay, you know, particularly when I was a single mum by myself, am I, you know, doing the right things for my son? Am I doing the right things for me? Um, you know, when my, my husband was, you know, having dialysis, am I giving him the right food? Is this what he needs for, you know, where he's at? And so everything about food was always, you know, that I had to be thinking about it all the time and it was normally I was feeling guilty about it. Wow. Like that's life for so many people. And it's so frightening that that can happen. Mm. Yep, and it's such a big part of your life. You know, you obviously have to eat. So, yeah, and when it's consuming, you know, all of your thoughts, 
um, a lot of the time and you're not enjoying what you're eating most of the time anyway because it's either what you feel you should or you're eating because it's something else that somebody else will eat and so it's just easier to make what they like so you don't have to worry about something else for yourself. Mm. Yeah. So, okay, you guys have, let's go back to this, you know, seven days a week thing, repetitive, everyone's eating little bits of the certain meal. Tell me about some of the yep. changes that you have made in your household and what a difference this has made to you. So at the end of last year, um, last year was a pretty stressful year for me. I had a stress-related eye condition, which doesn't help when you're an optometrist and know stuff about eyes. Um, and, <laughs> oh, you know, God. everyone around me was telling me, you need to stress less about everything. And I'm like, yeah, but everything is so stressful. Um, so I decided, you know, one of the things that I could change the most was, um, you know, not cooking three meals a night. Um, you know, I was rushing home from work and then trying to do a quick meal for my son so he could get to bed and then doing the other, you know, one or two meals for my husband and I after work. So I sat down and, and had a chat to them um, and said to them, initially we talked about, you know, um, because I was doing the additive course through the system mixing girls and so we had a bit of a chat about, um, you know, that I was doing some stuff um, to try and work out which food um, might be healthier for us than other foods um, and that some of the things that we had in packets weren't always so great for us. Um, and then, you know, after that meeting we then had another one where I said, you know, it's it's really hard for me to be making different meals each night and so um, we need to be sitting down together more. So I'm going to look at making um, the same meal for us each, you know, only making one meal a night um, and trying different things so that we wouldn't just be having the same things again and that there would be probably things that none of us liked and there would be things that, you know, maybe one of us liked or whatever, um, but we would all try them. And if we all liked something, then we'd add it to, you know, the things that we liked and we'd have it again. Um, and if we decided, you know, that it wasn't one of the things that we wouldn't have it again. But, um, you know, I got agreement from both of the boys that we would um, at least try each thing um, and see how we went. I love this so much. Do you know why? Because, you know, I reckon they probably would have been cool with that for quite a while, but it often takes us putting boundaries around what is okay <laughs> for us. You know, we try to be all things to all members of our family and great workers and this and that. And at the end of the day, we're just stressed out. <laughs> and so for you to be able to go, this yeah. isn't cool for me anymore and these are the reasons why, it was actually all that needed to happen because they're like, sounds good, okay, bit weird, but um, I'll go with you. These seem like logical reasons and your son's old enough to not, you know, have a tantrum about it or whatever. And really it was just the change needed to come from within you to put those boundaries around what was cool mm. and what was not anymore. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because, you know, um, I think I was, you know, maybe hoping that they'd, you know, suddenly say to me, oh, you know, you really don't have to cook three meals for us. We, you know, we'll just start eating the same thing, which obviously was never going to happen. So, you know, I needed to say, right, this is what I need for me and, you know, I know that I'm going to be doing the best for you guys and so, yeah, let's just make this happen. And now they're even cooking a meal. And now, yes, so 
um, probably about a month ago. I sat them down and I said, you know, you guys finish. Um, my husband finishes early on a Tuesday to pick up my son from school. Um, and I said, you know, you guys have got a few hours in the afternoon on a Tuesday um, and I'm still at work and I'm still getting home and rushing around and cooking dinner. So I think, you know, I think you guys should start doing a meal a week. Um, and so, you know, we've started with very um, simple things and simple things that they don't need to do very much. So, um, yeah, so just little bits, you know, marinating some chicken um, wings with the honey tamari mix. Um, you know, a very basic sort of crumbed um, chicken. Yeah, so little bits and pieces that they're getting there. Um, and they're just so proud of themselves when they've done it, which has been the best thing. Um, my son was so funny. The first night that they did something, he took a photo of it and he goes, Mum, I need you to download these photos um, because I'm going to write a food blog. Oh, my God, bless his heart. Yes. Yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> so we're still trying to get you know what this food blog will look like but he's desperate that he wants to you know um do his own food blog and tell people what he's making for dinner i'm he's pretty much my hero right now so anything he needs i'll i'll give him a hand um this has to happen there has to be a youtube channel as well because i want to see his cuteness on video <laughs> and you can just you can just tell him that i'll help him out um I I love that so much because what you have actually done by saying, by standing in your truth and, you know, putting boundaries around what's cool for you is you've actually empowered them and empowered him in such a huge way. Mm. It's just actually quite crazy when you think about it, how everything starts mm. to flow once we're... When, once we can honour ourselves. Yep, yep. And it's doing so much for the both of them. But, you know, I'm still blown away. My husband, they did a pasta dish, you know, two weeks ago, and my husband goes, I've never actually cooked pasta before. And I was just like, oh, I don't even know how this is possible. <laughs> so I was wow. like, part of this is, is me, you know, trying to, I said, I just need you two to, you know, know that if, if I'm not at home, you can actually make a decent meal for you two rather than having to, you know, get takeaway or something else. So, yeah, trying to, you know, instill the skills and particularly for my son, you know, thinking that, you know, when you're not no longer at home in, you know, 10 or so years that you're going to have, you know, these group of recipes that you're happy to just make and, and you know, do and it's been second nature because you've done it for so long. Oh, my God, you're amazing. And I reckon every single mum is now just going, man, I'm going to do this. I'm going to start this. It's so inspiring to hear these stories. I can't even tell you. So tell me, so you for went for a long time probably not going through or not looking at recipe blogs or opening up books because you were just in your zone of creating what they're going to eat so what's it been like to to get creative for you around food um well I used to love cooking um before I you know met my first husband I used to love you know baking and and trying different recipes and things like that um but it just all got so hard that I just didn't even, you know, it was just easier not to to bother even looking and, you know, I'd got rid of all of my cookbooks um, and everything like that and, you know, occasionally I'd see recipes and things like that and it would be like, no, someone in the house doesn't like that so don't even bother um, in terms of it. So, yeah, it's been um, 
you know, interesting. Certainly having my therapeutics, you know, made things I think a bit easier in terms mm-hmm. of knowing that there's heaps of things to look at that aren't really that difficult to do. Um, and obviously your program, Lisa, has made a huge difference because those, you know, some of the recipes that we're using from from Small Steps are amazing and are so easy and I'm, you know, gradually working them up towards, you know, um, more of those. Yeah, but it's been, you know, and some of the things that they're eating, um, you know, my son's favourite meal now is butter chicken by far. And, you know, there's no way six months ago that I would have been feeding either of them butter chicken. That is so good. They should totally try my chicken and feta mm. patties. It's just a bit of grating. They could definitely make yes. those. Yes, yes. We will totally move on to, yeah, yeah. We're just <laughs> taking little. Very <laughs> yeah, <good. I> <laughs> but that's the thing. <laughs> but I think that that's the cool thing, though. That's what I always say. That's why I freaking call everything small steps is because if you set the bar too high and you start looking around at what other people are doing and thinking, what? okay, shivers, that's what I need to be doing, then you're just setting yourself up from for big-time failure. It's okay and it actually should take time for us to change these habits so that they stick. And, you know, expecting anything more from, our, from ourselves and from the people who we live with, like it's fine for us to go cutting out gluten and dairy and I am um, going off blah, blah, and I'm basically going to just eat avocado or something. And that's all fine. Like we can do what we want for ourselves, but taking other people along on the journey is a whole other ball game. You know, we can be as inspired as we want. We could do the online courses. You know, I did a, um, you know, when I did my course, I'm, I'm saying to Nick, you know, I just think we can't eat this anymore. He's like, what do you mean we can't have lamingtons on Australia Day? <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, it's a bit sad, isn't it? Um, okay, well, I'm just going to find ones that don't have any of this, 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 and this. And it's like the life was getting sucked out of him and <laughs> I just realised that I might sort of feel certain things about food, but he's got his own journey on his own, and that's totally cool. Mm. Yep, and and I've had to totally um, step back a few times with my husband who, you know, is, yes, coming along with this and, you know, he's certainly eating a lot more variety of food than he ever has before, Um, but... You know, he's, yeah, and, and still says to me, you know, I'm a grown-up and I can choose to eat whatever I want to eat um, and I have to respect the fact that, yes, that is the case. Um, <laughs> so, but it is, you know, trying to just, yeah, these little bits and pieces and, you know, we have wins along the way. So we've had, you know, we've we've discovered raw capsicum is good. So <laughs> Winning. But do I you just ever? Just trying little bits of yeah, nice. I mean, do you ever pull the kidney cart? Do you ever kind of like, well, no. If you don't eat this, I'll have my no. kidney back. <laughs> no, no. And that was something that you know we discussed very early on in terms of it, because you know my yeah, our friends are always the time saying yeah, but you can't actually say that because she gave you a kidney. Um, <laughs> but no, no, that very rarely gets. The only time I ever pull the kidney card is on on our kidney anniversary. Um, 
And one year he forgot it was our kidneyversary, and so I, I pulled the kidney card then. Um, but yeah. apart from that, no, no. Yeah. Well, I mean, what does he give you each year for your kidney? Like, what's what's a what's a kidneyversary gift? Oh no, we just we just you know remember the fact that it happened. So yeah, I don't think this. He always says to me, "There's nothing that I could ever do, you know, um, or give you that could ever, you know, even come close to." You're giving me a kidney, so, yeah. And the fact that, you know, the fact that I see him every day and, you know, we can go on holidays. Like last year we went to America, which is something that he'd always wanted to do, but we knew that, you know, um, we could have never done um, if he hadn't have had the transplant. And so just being able to do those bits and pieces and being able to do it all together, um, you know, that's that's all I need to see that, you know, everything was worth it. You're amazing. Honestly, I would be asking for something. Um, this is me, but I love Nick. I do. <laughs> I am. But, I mean, in saying that, I think for the first six years of marriage, we forgot our anniversary every single year. We'd get a text from my mum going, hey, guys, happy anniversary. And we both look at each other and go, shit, I love you. Yep, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, um, so well, we did. We did get married. So maybe it was. Yeah, oh, we did get married, and yeah. he always said that he was never going to get married. So um, maybe oh, that was. Him. Yeah, maybe that was the exchange for the kidney. Look, he sounds like a lovely man, and you know, I'm only having a joke. And um, I, yeah, I think that you guys are both absolutely, totally fabulous. So to finish up all podcasts, I always ask my guests if they have any small steps tips that they might recommend to other people who I guess are, I don't know, they might be far along on their health journey, they might be just at the start of their journey, but from you, what would you say has made a big difference to you? What's a small step that you would recommend? Um, Mine is just looking, you know, locally around you and what's, you know, what you can find in your area. Um, You know, I've been amazed with all the things that I can actually get really close by. yeah, I can get organic spelt flour um, cheaper, you know, rolled three days ago than what I can buy from the supermarket. So, wow. you know, when you can get, you know, amazing things around you. That's awesome. Then, um, you know, I think it's just, yeah, yeah, just search for the stuff. You know, um, the rolled oats that we now get, our organic rolled oats, you know, and the packet tells me, you know, they were rolled out two days ago rather than maybe two years ago. Um, that the ones on the shelf are. So, you know, yeah, I've had to adjust cooking them because they're a bit different to cook because they just seem to, you know, yeah, but things like that, you know, that we can get so easily close to us. Um, I think there's some things in Tassie that we struggle a little bit with, but in terms of, you know, a lot of things down here, um, then, yeah, we're pretty lucky um, and there's lots of people sort of, you know, on the foodie journey down here. Um, mm. And so it's pretty easy to find things if you sort of start looking. I absolutely love that. And I and I realise that we just didn't close off, I guess, that whole guilt feeling that you had around food. How How are you with that these days? Yeah, I don't, I don't think about it and I don't, um, you know, you know, we were away for the weekend and, you know, there was various 
you know, bits and pieces there. And I didn't even question, you know, whether I should have it or, you know, should I feel guilty after I've eaten, you know, a chocolate biscuit or whatever. Um, it was like, you know what, we're here to have an awesome weekend, we, you know, with um, with the family. Um, and, you know, that's part of it for us. And so, yeah, I don't, you know, I think about it in terms of planning meals, in terms of, you know, what we're going to have for the week, but I'm not thinking about how that fits in. And, you know, if I have that for dinner, what should I have for lunch the next day or anything like that? You know, I'm just, yeah, concentrating on, you know, um, what's the best that we can eat um, at that time. And, you know, what are the new things that we're probably going to try together? Um you know, and, and just, yeah, even though I'm doing a lot more with it, um, I feel like it's so much easier. That's so awesome because that's the, I mean, and I, Jude Bloreau talks about it so beautifully when she talks about food nourishing us on many different levels. And, and I really do think that that is the case. You know, it has to, it feeds our physical body, but it also feeds our spirit, our soul, our, you know, whatever that sort of part of us is, it's a, it's a way to connect with people. It's, it should be joyous. And, um, you know, it's not always going to be, let's face it, sometimes dinner just needs to bloody well get up on the table, but it's, I don't know. I I feel like our cultures kind of miss the point with the fast food, um, and, and the connection, I guess, that it can bring to people. Mm. Yep, yep, yep. And, you know, we now, you know, we, we've got quick and easy things that we can get on the table rather than having to resort to, you know, something in a packet or takeaway, you know. And there are times that we have to, you know, that we do resort to takeaway. Um, but I don't even, you know, worry about that because I think, you know what, that's what we need right now and that's what's going to make all of our lives better. Um, yes, yes. And tomorrow, yes, yes. you know, we'll have something that's different. Oh, gosh, yes. Oh, my gosh, you're just like the ultimate small steps grad (laughs) because that's exactly like the holding on to the stress around food the holding on to the guilt that's going to be worse for us in the long run and it leads us down this path of being on or off with healthy eating and then once that starts to happen then all sorts of self-sabotage and all sorts of you know nasty voices in our head take over and it doesn't give our bodies the chance to tell us and us to just tap into what it needs next you know if we just come from that place that <laughs> that's what i do i'm like okay that that didn't feel too good okay well the next meal is just going to be this or i just i just find myself and it's so weird to say but i find myself thinking about food a lot less when i'm not when I haven't put rules around it. And I'm glad to hear that that that's the case for you too. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I think about it so much less. And I think my example for my son is so much better now than it was in terms of, you know, trying to restrict, you know, what came into the house or, you know, yeah, his attitude I think to food long term is going to be far better than if I'd continued, you know, in our very regimented way. Well, we all, we're just trying the best that we can in the moment as you and you know, so whatever mm-hmm. I've done in the past or whatever I'm about to do tomorrow, I'm just forgiving myself all the way because at least we're trying, you know. So I am so wrapped that you have taken the time out and, you know, we'll just tell everyone, slightly delayed start, um, totally my fault. 
Um, so I just, I thank you so much um, for sharing your story with us. I think it's fascinating. I think you're an amazing woman and you've got a lot to share. So um, use that voice, get your son on buddy YouTube and get him a blog and then you start a support group for for organ donors and it's happy days. <laughs> we'll do, we'll do. <laughs> Oh, gosh, I just think everyone has a message and everyone should be sharing stuff. It's an actual disease of mine. But um, thank you. I know 100% (laughs) that you will have made a difference in the lives of the listeners today. So thank you so much, Karen. Thanks, Lisa. Speak soon. For more inspiration, interviews and know-how, head to smallstepsliving.com. Small Steps Living, inspiring your best life, One small step at a time.